welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we have special guest speaker, Rick Eshbaugh, and here is Pastor Roy introducing Rick. We're delighted to have Rick and Esther Eshbaugh with us. Uh, I got to know Rick as he uh, came into the Central District to be our Central District Minister. He was actually Central District Minister as well as pastoring a church in Harvey, North Dakota. Uh, he was kind of doing both roles at the same time. I'm not sure how you did that. Quite well. Uh, but uh, God gave him strength, and um, um, we're thankful that God has called him to do that. Uh, he has a heart for pastors, and he has to go into some tough situations uh, in churches in our central district to, to help them through uh, difficulty and when pastors leave and various things. Uh, so it's not an easy role and we're thankful that God has called him to that. Uh, they are now uh, stationed, uh, reside in Sioux Falls when he's not on the road. Uh, so he's a lot closer to us. So we thought it would be great to have him come and share um, uh, as our Central District Minister, the Mennonite Brethren. Uh, so would you please give a warm welcome to Rick and Esther Eshbaugh. How do I follow that up? Huh? Turn this on. Okay. Well, this morning I do want to thank you for allowing me to be here. I, I guess I also need to apologize because somebody indicated this is the first time that I've been here as a district minister, so forgive my tardiness. I was the pastor in Harvey Mennonite Brother in Church. Uh, about a year into that, they asked me to pick up what they called uh, part of the district minister job. Uh, the church in Harvey had gone through a split, and I was working with them. Uh, one of the things that just thrills my soul is conflict and uh, arguments and uh, church splits. And I love restoration. I truly, truly do. My dad ran a body shop, and uh, every time I see an old uh, you know, bucket of rust, it's usually a Ford, uh, I get really excited. So, but... Have I, how many have I offended already? So, no, just kidding. But today I would like to just thank you for your prayers. Part of my responsibility uh, is to not only work with the, the Central District churches and their pastors, but also to represent them at the U.S. conference level. Uh, we have had a lot of meetings that focus on issues of our faith in terms of our practice. And I've also been called into those circumstances where we do have churches who are going through times of transition. But it's of that that I kind of want to speak of this morning. I'm going to ask you a question, and I'd like for you to think about it, uh, not in a way that you, you acknowledge that you will, but that you actually do it, where we would ask this question, how is it that you got here today? How is it that you are a person of faith or a person who is seeking faith or a person who is on the journey to understanding what it means to be a person of faith, how is it that you got here today? Who were the people that spoke into your life? When I think about my own personal faith, I did not grow up as a baby lamb in the church. I wasn't me. Our family grew up in Ulysses, Kansas. It's right out there by the panhandle of Oklahoma. My dad ran a body shop and my mom ran a ceramic shop. And that's where we grew up. We were good people. We didn't smoke, chew, drink, cuss, or go out with girls who do. We were good moral people. That's who we were. 
uh, we were ethical people. We showed up at the Methodist Church every time they did the directories, you know, those church directories. My mom got a free family portrait, and that's why we went. So we could always tell about every three years we went to church, and we got new clothes, and we looked really good. But for us, there came a moment in my high school years. I was about a junior in high school. My father running this body shop, and this was back in the day when they would actually use, uh, you know, those really fine uh, brushes to lay down these fine pinstripes on cars, etc. My dad was quite a technician. He was, he was renowned uh, for his workmanship. Some of his work actually ended up on the front of car magazines, and I'm bragging. But at the age of 38, my dad was, was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And over the next five years, we watched as our family was basically decimated financially by that, as well as by his physical health. But it was during this time that we also began to question what was our commitment to the Lord? It was during that time that people began asking about my dad's salvation. It was during that time as a teenager, and you all remember your teenage years. I know it's hard for me. I went back a couple of 20 years and could remember. But uh, that was a joke, by the way. I'm not, yeah. But for me, it was a very troubling time. I, I watched as my dad's dreams were destroyed. He and uh, he had to give up an airplane that he had restored and loved to fly. Uh, we were decimated as we watched our family home being sold, as we lost the business, all of those things, and I lost my roots. And it was during that time that I found a hunger for the Lord, but I, I definitely could have gone a different way. But for a man, his name was Max Hebert. He was a member of the Ulysses Mennonite Brethren Church. And I remember him being one of my school teachers that came up to me during this time and he put his arm around my shoulder and I can still feel his touch. I don't know if you've ever had those kind of experiences, but there was a moment when he put his arm around me and he said, I am praying for you and I know it's tough and if you ever need someone to talk to, I would love to have time to be with you. And it was that moment when I sensed that all was not lost and that I had found somebody who would truly understand and somebody who reached out to me. Now, I would like to say that at that very moment I knelt to the ground and accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior, but that's not what happened. It not, it's not what happened. But it was part of my journey, and that's what I want to talk to you about today recognizing that you have a journey and recognizing that others around us also have a journey. And our passage today, we're going to find it in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through chapter 4, verse, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 10. And if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there with me. It is all about the sending out of the twelve. And so as we take a look at this passage of scripture, I'm going to again ask you, how did you get here? Who was it that put their arm around you? Who was it that spoke to you and said, there's more to life than what you are experiencing or you do not have to be alone? Our passage begins in verse 35. Let's see if I can do this right. Okay, try again. All right, I'm going to need, oh, there we end. Okay, did I do that or did you do that? Okay, all right. 
If I don't, you will. There we go. All right. It begins by Jesus talking about Jesus and his ministry. And it says, Jesus went through all the towns and the villages. I didn't tell you that I grew up in Ulysses, and it's a very small town. We had three stoplights. We didn't need a one of them. But that's where we grew up. When it speaks about towns and villages, it speaks about the size of the places that Jesus was going to. And it speaks about him going to their towns. And it talks about going to their villages. And I don't know what a village would, would mean around here. We had a little town near Ulysses called Hickok. And it was a place where they would set up a speed trap because they brought the speed limit down about 20 miles an hour. And there was a grain elevator and a place that would serve coffee while you were emptying uh, your grain there. And uh, that was it. There were 12 people who lived there. That's what it said on the sign. In fact, it had welcome to Hickok on one side of the sign and on the other it had now leaving Hickok. That's how small it was. But that's a village. And for the Jewish people, it was understood that any time that they could actually gather 10 believing men, 10 Jews, they would actually put together a synagogue and they would have a time of worship together. But that was the kind of the space that Jesus was going to. He was going to places like Hickok and he was going to places like New York City, if you will. But it says as he was going there, he was teaching in their churches. He was teaching where they were experiencing faith, where they were being taught. And it says Jesus went to their synagogues and he was teaching there, but he was teaching something new. He was preaching, it said, the good news of the kingdom. It's not just about salvation, but it's a new way of life and understanding. It was different than what they were being taught. It wasn't just about education, but it was also about living out their faith, being a living witness, to be an ambassador, to be ministers of Christ, and to be ministers of reconciliation, to actually live it out. In fact, Jesus was quite upset whenever he found the Pharisees who were only teaching. It was all about knowledge. It was all about knowing what the end times were going to be and all of these things that we find sometimes important without actually living it out without actually interacting and choosing to love when we would rather not. All of these things Jesus was preaching. He was preaching about the new covenant, the coming of the cross, the coming of the empty tomb, and the coming of the resurrection. He was speaking about all of those things. He was also speaking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that would mark this new covenant. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. And yes, he was healing every disease and sickness. Now we know that he didn't heal absolutely everybody there. We know that after Jesus left his earthly ministry, there were still people who had brokenness in their lives. But it says as he was going, he did these things. And then there came this moment, it says, when he saw the crowd. Now, how many of you have been seen before? For me, I was seen by Max Heber. I was seen when he understood my pain, he understood my family context, he knew the struggles that I was carrying, and he saw me. There came that moment when somebody saw me. Now, you guys are seeing me, but you haven't saw me. Does that make any sense at all? A little bit, doesn't it? You have no idea what's been going on in my life. 
You don't know the struggles that I necessarily am carrying, nor do I know yours. But I know the one who does, right? But it says Jesus saw them. And there's some different words that could have been used for this idea of seeing the crowd. But it would be better if he said he perceived those within the crowd. He understood what they were going through with all honesty. We won't take the time this morning because uh, Roy told me that if I let you out by 11.10, you'll really like me. That's what I was told, right? But go to Psalm 139, please. Psalm 139 is this passage which speaks about how we are formed. And it says God knows all of our ways. He knows our thoughts. God knows everything about us. Now, Esther and I have had 35 good years of marriage. We've been married going on 38, right? Yeah. There's a few bad days in there. Yeah. They probably equate to that. I don't know. But you know, when we stood up there before the preacher who happened to be her dad, who was a missionary in Pakistan, by the way, that's where Esther grew up. We were standing before him and he, made these, he asked us these questions. He said, will you love her in sickness and in health? And all of, oh, yes, 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 indeed I will. You remember doing that? We had no clue what we were agreeing to, did we? <laughs> really, honestly, did you have a clue? Looking back, I always worry that if, if Esther knew everything that we were going to go through, she would say, ah, I'm checking out of this guy. Yeah. But here's the thing. It says God knows everything about you. For God so loved the world. God knew everything that you are thinking, everything that you will think, every good thing, every bad thing, and he still loves you. Stop, just a moment. That's, that's a big thing, isn't it? That God knows you and he still loves you. It's not about how good you are. It's not about your great potential, your leadership ability, or any of those things. It simply says God knows you and he loves you. The other piece that I like in Psalm 139, it also says that your days were ordained and my days were ordained. God loves us, and you're here for this generation. Okay? You were not born a hundred years ago, nor were you going to be born in another ten years. You were born when you were born. For this generation within your family, within your circumstances, within the United States, all of these things, I believe God, as sovereign God, said this is when you will be here. And he loves you. Is that true? Can you accept that? Are you sure? Good. This is an easy crowd, Roy. I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway. But it says that when he saw this crowd and he understood the people who were there, knew why they were born, knew the circumstances they were under, knew this guy over here who had a horrible father-in-law, right? All of the things that were happening in those people's minds, God knew that, Christ knew that, and he had compassion upon them. Compassion. Compassion is different than love. You can't have compassion without love. But compassion is love that generates into an engagement with that person. 
Compassion says, I have to do something about it. It's different than empathy. Boy, I feel sorry for you. Compassion says, I am going to walk with you through this process. It said he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Where had Jesus been preaching, by the way? In the synagogues. Where it was all about earn your love, earn your place, earn your salvation. It all about this righteousness. It was all about this idea of being perfect. And it says Jesus had compassion on them because in their synagogues and in their understanding of who God was, they were like sheep without a shepherd. They missed the fact that God knows them and that God loves them. That's what caused, it says, for Jesus to have compassion upon them. Now, what would you do if you were Jesus? What would you do? Well, according to what we read here, I need help again, I guess. We're just going to let you move it up there. There you go. It says, Then he said to his disciples, whom he had promised that he would train them to be what? Fishermen of... Okay, well, Jesus said this is a good time to learn. This is a great time for you to understand what it means to be a fisherman of men. It says, then he said to his disciples, look, business is great. Look at this crowd of broken people. Look at these people who are being harassed. Look at the people who are ready to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They're sheep without a shepherd. They're lost people. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest, it says, to do something. To send out workers into the harvest field. Is that what it says? Whose harvest field is it? It's his harvest field. He said, look, this is the harvest. This is the opportunity. This is the place where we have opportunity to minister, to harvest. How many of you think that when you come to church that we are coming to church or do you understand that you are the church that will be sent? There is a difference, isn't there? I look here and I see all these people who are going to go out into God's harvest field and you will have opportunity to see people as Christ sees them. You will know their circumstances. You will be Max Hebert and you can put your arm around somebody out there. And you can help them move forward in their faith journey. They may not accept Christ at the moment you touch them, the moment that you interact with their life, but they might. Jesus says, go into the harvest field because it's white unto harvest, as it says in other places. And then Jesus did something incredible. It said that he called his disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and heal every disease and, si and sickness. Now this word that is used here, this give them authority, is really interesting because it is not the word for power. That would be dunamis in the Greek. That's where we kind of get the word dynamite from. But it's actually exousia, where it speaks about the giving the right of the authority to do that. This is partly where we find the word ambassador for Christ. How many of you remember when you were in high school and they had the letterman sweater and all that kind of stuff? 
Anybody remember those days? I came from Ulysses, Kansas. We were the Ulysses Tigers. I have no idea why there wasn't a tiger within thousands of miles, but we were the Ulysses Tigers. Our colors were orange and black, and everybody else had these uh, leather jackets, but we had a knitted sweater. That's what we had. Very heavy knitted sweater, bright orange, and it had a big U on it for Ulysses. But in order to get into the U Club, you had to first and foremost, uh, you had to uh, be on a varsity squad, you had to have, you know, you know, be honored for your ability in the sporting field, and then you had to have the signature of everybody else who was already in the U Club sweater. Okay? So I had to take a wooden U, and it had all of these lines, and I had to get the signatures of every single one of those guys who were currently serving in the U Club. Okay? That meant as a freshman who, was wrestling, who had lettered in wrestling, by the way, as a four-year letterman, I had four stripes, but no applause. Come on. This is the only time I get built up. You know, it really meant a lot at the time. But I had to get their permission. And then, after all of that, well, we had to sing, you know, they would make me stand up in front of an assembly and, and sing our fight song, that kind of thing. Mr. Melcher, well, he looked a little bit like Anthony, and I had to butter his head while saying the U Club's pledge. So, you know, I love you, brother. Yeah. But the other thing that went with that was that we were not allowed to put our individual medals on the jacket. We were not allowed to let our girlfriends wear our jackets. And whenever we went out on a tournament or whatever, we had to wear a tie, right? We had to represent our school. We were given that authority. And this is sort of what it speaks about. We were ambassadors for our town. And if we misbehaved, we lost our sweater. And there was a ceremony for that too, by the way. Not a pleasant. But it says Jesus gave them the authority. Not the power. It wasn't like Jesus all of a sudden turns to them and says, I am going to bestow upon you this, this wonderful power that allows you to drive out demons. No, he says, you will do it on my authority and I'm conferring it to you. You're an ambassador. You're not the king. You're not the main thing. You are representing me. He says, I give you authority to do this. And then he named the 12 apostles. Do you remember these guys? Some of them were fishermen. A couple of them had some special names attached to them. There was Matthew, who was actually writing this particular text, who was a tax collector. He's the only one who identifies his background. If you find the other listing of the disciples written by, by, by John or Mark, all of those kind of things, you'll never see this moniker attached, but Matthew does it to himself. He said, I was a tax collector. I was working for the Roman government, and I was extracting taxes from my fellow believers, my fellow Jews. And then it says there was also Simon the Zealot. Now, a Zealot has a lot of connotations, but, but basically what you need to understand is that they were the, the ecclesiastical policemen. They were the ones that would write you up if you carried too much firewood on the Sabbath. Okay? They were legalistic. They were the ones that were the moral police. And then there was Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
Now think about it. Jesus has just given them the authority to cast out demons. He's given them the, ador- uh, the authority to heal. He's given them the authority to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And the list includes somebody like Judas Iscariot. Do you understand that there will be people who will walk in their journey faith for a season and at some point they will say, this is not for me. But Jesus allowed room for this group of guys, this group of fishermen, this group of tax collectors, this person who is a zealot, and this person who he knew would actually betray him. There was not a fear of being hurt by keeping close those who were going to cause them harm. And I find that important for us as we remember our role of interacting with other people. That there will be time that when we are interacting with them, we will get dirty and we will get hurt. There will be times that people will betray us. But the importance was that they have room, that they have a place to develop and to be questioned about their faith and what they will do. And then Jesus, it says, sent them out with the following instructions. He says, don't go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, for freely you have received, freely give. Now what I find really incredible about this is of course the idea that he was sending them out just to the Jews at this particular point. But who were the disciples? Were they not also Jews? He was sending them to people that they knew. He was sending them to these villages that they would know about. Places like Woonsocket, I suppose. I don't know. Hickok. He was sending them out and it says, as you go, as you are traveling, as you are going there, preach the good news about the kingdom being near. He said, for freely you have received, freely you are to give. It is this concept of as you are going. You know, sometimes what we do is we invite people to come to our church. We say, why don't you come join us? But Jesus is saying here that as you are going, as you interact with the world around you, you are to have compassion upon them. You are to see them as God sees them. Because there are folks that you are going to run into that as you are going, you can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Now you may not, in fact, bring them to that moment where they actually accept Jesus Christ, but you are a participant in their journey. Yesterday, I looked at myself in the mirror and I thought, it's time for a haircut. So, this is something new for me because in Harvey, we had a guy that lived 10 miles out of town that would charge you $10 and he could do a haircut in under three minutes. He used to be with the military and he could cut your hair. You could tell him whatever you wanted to, but you were going to get the haircut that he wanted you to have. The good news is that he would take an auto buffer, you know, the kind that you would hold on to with two hands and you would buff the wax into your car. You would get a back rub with that at the end. Ten bucks. I was in. But now that we live in Sioux Falls, we have to find somebody who would be a hairstylist for us. Yeah? Yeah. Well, Esther had her favorite person and I didn't care. And I ended up with Tiffany. 
And Tiffany and I, of course, you know, she calls it hair therapy. You know, it's when people are, you know, telling them all about stuff that's going on in their world. And so I was asking her questions, you know, about her family and that kind of stuff. Well, she has two kids. Uh, one is a year and a half, the other one is five. And as we were talking, she said, yes, my husband, she. And my radar went off. That ain't right. That's not what God says. And I had just come back from working on the U.S. Board of Faith and Life level where we're trying to deal with some of this kind of stuff that's hitting our society today. In a couple of weeks, I'll be at Tabor College board meetings where they're wrestling with all those kinds of things that are hitting our schools in terms of discrimination and what's allowed and what's not allowed and how do we play nice and how do we keep our uh, college grants and money like that. It's, 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 it's a big deal. And I immediately thought I needed to straighten her out. And I thought, you know, that's what Simon the Zealot would have done. That's what Simon the Zealot would have done. But I first of all had to have compassion upon her. And I asked her, I said, well, she asked me, she says, well, how is it that you got into your, I think she called it a vocation. And I was able to tell her about my experience of coming to faith in Christ. I was able to tell her about the compassion that I received, about the forgiveness that I feel, that God has worked in my life in a mighty, powerful way. The idea that somehow or another, that God works with all of us where we are. And I thought the worst thing that I could have done was to stop the work that God was doing in her life at that particular moment. And all I was supposed to do, I knew this by the conviction that I had in my spirit, was to remind her that God is a God of love who sees where she is and understands her circumstances and was going to be able to minister to her and I had the potential to blow that up by sounding self-righteous and pious at that particular moment. I didn't change my theology. I didn't change the fact that God is a holy God and views that as sin. But I did leave a fresh taste that God loves us and he always starts with where we are. And I thought, you know, I have no idea the journey that she is on, but I didn't want to get in the way of what the Spirit was doing. That's our world. We're always going to come across people who are sinners. In fact, I think most of us in this room qualify. Yeah? But I do know that God surrounded himself with disciples, some who were very self-righteous, some who had a kind of a difficult past, some who would reject them. And he also was able to see the crowd and have compassion upon them. It begins with what we saw on the screen earlier during the, during the offertory. God loves us. It begins with that concept. And we can't go necessarily on our own strength. This passage in Matthew chapter 10 goes on in verse 9 and it says do not take any gold or silver or copper in your belts take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep now this is usually the place where I plug to make sure you're paying your pastor fairly right Isn't that what I was supposed to say here Roy yeah but it's not just about pastoral staff it's about us as ambassadors for Christ. 
You have a unique ministry here to this city and its surrounding communities, to your family, to your co-workers, to the person that cuts your hair or sacks your groceries. All of this, you have an opportunity. You just have to be available. And it's going to be different for everyone. On Palm Sunday, we had the privilege of being in Shakopee in Minnesota at our, at our Slavic church. And it's a church of over a thousand. On Palm Sunday, they have, I think they have 200 kids who are what they considered to be their children's ministry. And they were coming up with their palm branches. And then I don't know what they were saying because it's all in Russian, right? But I have a good idea. Hosanna, Hosanna, I think is what they said. Over a thousand people that day. And I got the privilege of sharing a little bit there in their service. And that was wonderful. But I didn't understand a word of it. But I noticed that there were over a thousand people that were going to be released back into the city. That would have opportunity to see people as Christ sees them. The following Sunday I had the opportunity to be there on Easter at our church plant down in Fremont, Sanctuary Fremont. That church, the, 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 our church planting pastor, Wes Wilmer, has resigned and, and we're trying to figure out a path forward. And I was there with a, with a smaller group, about 25, 30 believers. And there we were able to speak with them and, and understand their particular ministry that they have. They have a wonderful, wonderful Celebrate Recovery ministry there. They're ministering to a group of people that probably haven't even hit the radar of the folks in Shakopee. And they're ministering in Fremont. And I was ministering in Harvey, North Dakota, and it was in fact a small town, but it was a church that had gone through a church split and it divided families. And it was in the midst of this conflict that I watched as believers had to grow into their faith. Even though they had been Christians for many, 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 many years, God still was teaching them what it means to love one another and to forgive one another. And in a small town, that's a big deal. It truly is. Because if you're known as the church that doesn't like anybody, it's hard to attract people, isn't it? Yeah. And everybody knows everything in a small town. In fact, everybody knew that we got a raise one year because we went from one ply to two ply. That's the truth. <laughs> Not really. Jesus says, don't take anything along with you. Don't think it's because of who you are. It's because you've been authorized with this message. It's not your message. You did not receive dunamis. You didn't receive power to do this. You received authority to share with those people what you have received. This idea of compassion. This idea that the good news is available to all. And the request that he has is that we would have compassion for the sheep. As we close this morning, I want to remind you how this all turned out, by the way. You know, Jesus sends out these 12. Do you know what follows next? You can read ahead in your scriptures if you want to. But it tells us that what happens next is they come back and they report that all of these things have happened. And next thing that happens for Jesus is that there are people who are following Jesus now in droves. The next miracle that happens is 
the feeding of the 5,000. Where do you think the 5,000 came from? It was because of the ministry of the 12 being sent. Because they went out and they shared the good news of Christ, there were many who had to come get a second look at what was taking place. Did Jesus teach them how to fish? Yeah, he did. Did they do it? Yes, they did. Yeah. So I want us to understand that when you come here to church, I hope you hear good stories. I hope that you have opportunity to, to dive deep into the Word of God. But I hope that you leave here with this sense of compassion for those who are around you. And every time there is a conflict, every time we find ourselves in a situation where the gospel meets the world, we're exactly where God wants us to be. People are teachable. They are hungry. And they need someone to put their arms around them. I'm going to pray for you. But my prayer is a dangerous one. And I will allow you to pray it if you desire to do so. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.